Mountain Whispers podcast, an exploration of the deeper lessons we learn from the outdoors. I chat to interesting people at the fringes of mountain culture about how they relate to the world around them and how their practice with the outdoors brings them inspiration, connection and healing. I anticipate that the way I describe this project is going to evolve with time. I know I've mentioned Robert Persig and Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance a few times, and the same way Phaedrus was slowly figuring out what quality is, that which I'm looking for is going to be slowly figured out as well. With each episode, I stumble across another breadcrumb that helps inform the search, and today's conversation is one with a lot of those breadcrumbs. It's with Fletcher Tucker, who is a A very, very interesting dude. He is a practitioner of earth-based skills, founding an organization called Wild Tender, which offers immersive wilderness programs that cultivate intimacy with the natural world, connect with wisdom traditions, and nurture human wholeness. He's also a musician and founder of a nature mysticism record label called Gnome Life Records. So Fletcher and I have a, a really great conversation. Part of the, the name Mountain Whispers comes from the idea that with practice, one can attune themselves to be able to hear the wisdom that the natural world has to, to share. Fletcher calls this the more than human world that's living around us. We talk about this, and in particular the way in which modernity has conditioned us to be cut off from these whispers. One of the distinct characteristics of modernity is separation. That there is a subject, there is an object, and in order to understand the world, we need to split the two. We talk about this separation, and in particular how certain participatory practices, as Fletcher calls it, it allows us to to reconnect with that more than human world that we separated ourselves from. We explore this idea, but also some of the practices that help heal and reconnect that separation. Fletcher calls them participatory practices that allow us to cultivate an intimacy with the more than human world. It's things like practicing reciprocity, practicing intentional attention, and holding ritual space to invite this. Something I wanted to call out is that I totally recognize the idea of cultivating intimacy with the more than human world or hearing its whispers is probably going to exceed the woo-woo threshold of some listeners. If that's you, I, I totally get it, but I encourage you to, to really just keep an open mind as you listen to it. I really think there's some juice there. One of the practices we talk about that isn't very woo-woo at all is taking the time to learn the natural history of the territory that you live in as a way to start cultivating that same level of intimacy. By understanding the history of the landscape around you, the story of the land that you are, is another way to develop that same connection that's been separated. So it's a very powerful conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. Quick note on sound quality. The recording took place over a landline, so there is quite a bit of crackle to the sound quality, a bit of a volume distortion. Fletcher's living on a, a homestead on Esalen territory. Um, Esalen Institute being a name you, you may recognize 
from the final scene of, of Mad Men, or even the location that Terence McKenna often gave his talks at, or the talks that live on, on YouTube now. So be prepared for a little crackle. And in re-listening to it, I kind of enjoyed it, honestly. It gave the vibe of, of late-night talkback radio, which I, I hadn't, hadn't tuned into for a long time. With, without further ado, here is Fletcher Tucker. Well, I'm here with Fletcher Tucker. Fletcher, welcome to Mountain Whispers. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Tim. Happy to be here. So... The first thing we should call out is that the the sound quality may be a little bit patchy. We're doing this on a um, on a landline. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, what what is the the internet situation? What is the residence that you're at right now? Um, I live um, I live high on the western slope, um, about seventeen hundred feet or so. Um, and the unceded ancestral homeland of the Esalen people, which is now known as Big Sur, um, up on a historic um, homestead that was established um, uh, in, uh, in the, uh, around 1890. And um, I've got some satellite internet, um, which is a bit patchy for things like this. There's quite a bit of delay. Usually there'll be like a 30-second delay or so, which is pretty harsh for conversation. So we've got this good old-fashioned um, landline here as our backup for normal human-to-human speech. Um, so that, yeah, that's where, where we are today. It might be a little quiet, might sound a little um, antiquated or vintage to the, uh, to the Zoomers out there, but uh, people of my age will remember <laughs> a few phone calls like this in their childhood. <clears throat> I, I honestly don't think of touched a landline phone since I moved out of my parents' place in 2010. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's still pretty pretty good, 2010. I'd say most people probably shed the landline a while back. Every once in a while, I, I, there's a landline-to-landline call, and the, the quality is very transportive. <laughs> <laughs> but, yep. And is this your, your primary... Homestead, or is it residence for the the programs that you're you're teaching? No, the, you know this is where I live with with my wife and our child. Um, we live here full time, um, and we're we're care. It's a historic ranch, so we, um, in addition to all the other things we do, we are uh, caretakers up here. So I take care of about forty fruit trees or so, um, and um, just over oversee the the land, um, making sure that nothing's washing away or burning up. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, I uh, I know you do a lot of things. Um, wild tender, you you lead experiences. You teach uh, at Esalen, and you you also make a lot of music. So, uh, I'm curious where our conversation's going to go. But perhaps a good place to start is on. Maybe I just share a little bit more context about what this project is, because I, I see there's two sides. Um, one of in exploring the way in which the outdoors is transformative there is one side on the um let's say adventure sports area where um testing your endurance having a relationship with fear having a relationship with risk and your own mortality mm-hmm. is transformative but that's almost in a different way to 
having a reciprocal relationship with nature is. And the name Mountain Whispers comes from that side of if you can attune yourself, you can hear that which the mountain is, is whispering. And so to start off, I'm, I'm curious, how long have you been able to hear or had a relationship with the whispers that nature share? Mm, that's interesting. Um, uh, it makes me think of... Um, it makes me think of this quote um, by R.D. Lang, who um, was a Scottish um, psychiatrist uh, around the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, um, who said, um, we all arrive as Stone Age children, um, which was this hymn, I think, very beautifully expressing this idea of this kind of um, deep ancestral um, remembering or expectation of how <clears throat> the world and our web of relationships would be um, that just based on what it has meant to be human for for most of most of our um, the time of our species on this on this earth um, so yeah anyway I'm already tangenting which will be <laughs> will be a familiar we come a familiar experience to you, Tim, as we as we work here. But um, but um, I guess that is just to say that like that I I feel like I've I have felt that very strongly in my life that that expectation of um, that Stone Age expectation of like a rich relationship with with the land and with um, you know and an expectation for like a community to to meet me. Um, in those expectations and guide me in those relationships and I didn't get that because I like you and like everyone who's listening um, was was born into a utterly different kind of paradigm Um, you know this 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 kind of anomalous age of modernity and um, colonialism and that we live in um, and suffer under Um, and at the same time like the yearnings have been strong enough in me that they've been the primary constant guiding force of my life since the beginning of just always wanting to be um, always wanting to be out in in the wild um, you know often on my own even as even as a little kid spending as much time as I could you know, in the forest behind my house, the pine forest behind my house, or in the summers, my, my grandparents lived on on um, Lake Tahoe up on the Nevada side, um, and I, you know, I'd spend a month there in the summer, and most of that time was just spent on my own, wandering next to the lake, you know, catching crawdads and snakes and, and, um, and uh, talking to myself and listening to the to the other than humans that were around me. Um, not necessarily always hearing things, although I think it probably, you know, since when we're young, the uh, the intuitive and the imaginational dimensions of self are, are so much more in the foreground and, and, and you know, we're capable of trusting them so much more. Um, so I, I, yeah, I was definitely in, in dialogue. And then um, in like a serious way in my adult life, it's been the last 12 years that I've been really committed to deeply listening to um, 
sure. to build my build my awareness from that place, you know, that place of listening. I love the title, by the way. I think Mountain Whispers is is great. Thank you. Yeah. Because the when you say the, the the line of being Stone Age children, mm-hmm. the uh, the reality is that that the ability to listen to the more than human historically has been cultivated in community, totally. whereas we're in a culture where it's clear that it is natural among children, but it it is implicitly something that is shut down as one transitions to being a teenager and, and totally. adulthood. Totally. I would say implicitly and explicitly shut down. Um, you know, I mean, it's this, the distancing and the severance is like built into every dimension of our, of our current so-called culture, you know, with, uh, even down to the way that we speak, um, about, about the, the, na- the natural world or the more than human world. Um, the way that we regard other beings, it's, um, and there's for, for sure, uh, there's for sure a, um, an emphasis on, uh, these notions being kind of childish or, you know, even from, even, you know, if we want to frame it even more nefarious way, primitive, you know, um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's people listening who, who are totally on, on board, but there's, there's probably people listening who are already not quite confused. sure what we mean. You're already confused. <laughs> what do we mean when we talk about the more than human yeah. or what there is to share from the more than human world? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> well, I guess I could just start with terms and then maybe you could kind of refine the, the question a, a little bit so that I don't just spiral out into um, even more confusing territory. Um, yeah, um, when I say the more than human, I mean, I mean, um, I mean a, a, a landscape or a, or a collective of, of beings or community of beings that includes the human, um, includes me, but is, but is not dominated by the human, is not, um, um, you know, like a, like a, a city or a suburb or something like that is like a very human dominated and radically changed by modernity place where there's not a lot of diversity of, of beings and um, ecological diversity and there's also um, you know everything down to like the soundscape you know from the soundscape to the landscape to the smellscape even it's just all very human dominated and so then the more than human or the more than human world is in some ways kind of a replacement term for what people often people often use the word nature. I'm not super fond of that word because I think that there's a there's kind of an implied separateness um, in that word. Like nature is is over there, and that's that's that place where there aren't people, and then there's us. Um, when in actuality. I think, you know, if you were to think about like a very accurate description of nature, nature is just everything. Like all all manifestations in the cosmos are are nature. They're all natural, you know, um, including me, including this house that I'm in, including these redwood trees that I can see out my window right now. 
nature so that the term doesn't the term doesn't really it's like it's non-specific to a point of being almost meaningless to me and then and then if it isn't if it's being used you know pardon me for saying so but incorrectly then what it's actually what you're actually saying is it's that there's there's human stuff and then there's everything else and we are separate and not connected um so the in an effort to kind of like guard in our language a little bit um i would say uh i often say the more than human because it puts an emphasis on the fact that there's lots of other beings and processes that are uh, um outside of my control but but it's not the not human world it's just the more than human world i'm i'm still there i'm still a participant i'm still a member of a community of beings is that making sense in kind of a wabi-sabi sort of way it, no, it, it, it absolutely is. Uh, what it brings up is I, uh, a recent episode I, um, I chatted to uh, a wildlife photographer and who uh-huh. would set camera traps um, and would take the, mo- the most amazing pictures I've ever seen of some of the large mammals of the Pacific Northwest. Wow. And what it did for me was it just brought these animals completely alive and, it, and brought alive in me that we are literally just sharing space with these animals and it's so easy to um, see humanity as like earth belonging to the the homo sapiens and then there's also animals um, and forget that all living things are just sharing this land. Yeah, right. Well, 98% or so of all the so-called living beings on this planet are plants. So, you know, sheer biomass, it's mostly plants. So, you know, if we want to even, you know, even in our most um, or vainglorious, you know, um, moments, uh, we should at least be aware of that, that it, you know, it's mostly plant world. And then, and then it's, you know, us and and the other animals, um, you know, most of whom are insects. So, so there's that as well. Um, how do you go about uh, in knowing that? How do you choose to commune with plant life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, you know, something that's come up for me um, through this these this last decade or so that's become really important to me is, um, in particular, with plants. Um, is uh, finding ways to participate uh, or collaborate with plants. Um, so, like, foraging is like a really super um, accessible example of that. Like, you know, collecting, collecting, um, you know, mindfully and respectfully um, collecting wild plants from from the land that I that I get to live upon um, and the surrounding you know wild places and drinking them as tea using them as medicine um, cooking with them and incorporating them into essentially like bringing them into the camp bringing them into my into my household uh, as emissaries from this larger community of beings and then literally bringing them into my body and 
become, allowing them to become part of me and allowing me to become part of them. Um, that comes to mind as like something that's fundamental to my personal practice and also something that, that I really like to share with with folks when we are working together in the in the wild. We make a lot of wild teas and drink them in like a ceremonial way. Um, yeah. yeah. That, yeah, I think that's a that's a great example and it honestly as you said it brings up a line from um Gary Snyder's essay on the etiquette of 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 freedom. Let me just quickly see if I can find exactly what he's uh, what that line is. Sure. He says, "The world is not only watching; it is listening to." A rude and thoughtless comment about a ground squirrel, or a flicker, or a porcupine will not go unnoticed. Other beings, instructors from old or, or instructors of old ways, tell us do not mind being killed and eaten as food. But they do expect us to say please and thank you, and they hate to see themselves wasted. Mm, mm. The precept against needlessly taking life is inevitably the first and most difficult of commandments. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I haven't read that in a while. I'm glad to hear that again. Um, I wrote up one of the things I really love about that is that he's putting, um, he's restoring agency to those. To those other than humans when he's saying um, he's saying they hate to be wasted um, uh, you know he's he's allowing it to be from from their perspective um, rather than uh, you know he could be talking about them but in some way he's sort of trying to let them speak for themselves um, there which has, yeah. has meaning to me yeah it's something I struggle with is drawing the line between or, or confronting the criticism that can, sometimes comes up of um, the best way to um, respect nature is to not harm it. So, for example, I live on the edge of Alice Lake Provincial Park uh, in, in Squamish, and I really, as since reading Bill Potkin, uh, enjoy just wandering in the forest, going off trail and, and really just paying attention. And um, I had a, an old school hiker criticize me for going off trail because it is, I mean, there's lines of um, a, a plant takes 50 stomps before it, it dies. Um, how, do you, how do you go about managing that balance both of, of um, say, exploring, but also when it comes to, to foraging and things like that? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's really interesting, and it definitely comes up a lot because, you know, there's kind of a, there's, there's kind of a reactionary, um, like, hands-off approach to, um, to uh, our relationship with, um, with, with the living world um, that, you know, comes up in things like, like leave no trace, for example. I'm sure you're familiar with that kind of principle. That, or it's even like a there's yeah they have, there's like precepts of leave no trace. Have you encountered that? Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have as as hikers and backpackers and and people who are involved in the in the out outsides. Um, but um, and I will say, like, I, I understand it to some degree because it's, uh, it's kind of uh, it's a reaction, really, to, like, a very 
extractionistic and thoughtless and careless way that um, our our species, you know, human people have been have been kind of we've been um, funneled into um, by by our culture. Um, so, you know, so so it makes sense to me in that sense, but it's not nuanced at all. Um, and you know, I'm I'm very pro nuance, and um, and uh, and I think to have like an actual meaningful, deep relationship um, with place, with with the wild, with the more than human, we uh, need to embrace nuance. Um, we can't we can't just uh, we can't just you know accept. Um, some very reductive ideas, um, like that we're not we're not supposed to leave a trace. I mean, first of all, all beings leave a trace. All animals leave a trace. You can't move through any landscape. You can't move among any peoples, human or otherwise, without leaving a trace. I mean, it's like Gary Snyder's referencing there, like a, a you know a, an unkind thought um, can leave a trace. Um, so. So that, you know, that idea from my perspective, and I don't have a privileged perspective on reality. I can just talk about, you know, the way that I understand these these subtle things. But to me, that doesn't feel subtle or nuanced. And really what we're doing by enforcing those ideas, maybe, you know, for, maybe it will affect some people and, and, and keep them from littering or something like that, which is great, you know, definitely pack it in, pack it out. Um, but I think the overall messaging is really just one of more separation and more severance and more of just reinforcing these false mythologies of separateness, um, which I think is like the, at the, at the core of the, is actually at the core of, of our uh, environmental peril and destruction um, and therefore just needs to be addressed from all angles. Um, even the even these, in my opinion, well-meaning angles um, of of you know environmentalism, but um, I know that's a lot to chew on, and I haven't even gotten really to your answer yet. Uh, no, no, I I think you you did point to it. What what I yeah. what, what comes up in in what you just shared, and, and you can almost summarize what we've been talking about so far, at least the current state, is uh, separation, and that um, the we're we're conditioned very early to have a clear separation between us and other beings or us and nature um yeah. <laughs> even though that's not a great word um it's okay i don't i don't i i do i don't uh i don't offer these things with an intention to like scold or try to be um <laughs> or try to um what's the word be um be dogmatic about it. I'm simply just trying to kind of point our point our attention to to like subtle subtlety. I guess is, is my yeah. That's why I call it. Um, that's why I think of it as language gardening. It's not. <laughs> I'm not necessarily asking everybody to adopt it. I'm just pointing it out. Sure, sure. I, I guess my my question around separation then yeah. is um, for someone who is uh, very new to cultivating a, a relationship with the, the more than human or the outdoor spaces they like to play in. Yeah. What, 
practices would you recommend for challenging that separation? Yeah. For, for like, someone who's really uninitiated? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I recommend... I recommend, um, I think, I think really a, a foundational place to begin, um, is, is with awareness. So, um, cultivating, cultivating awareness and intentional attention. Um, so what's involved in that is being quiet, um, being slow, um, even being still sometimes, um, and and then showing up over and over again, um, you know, with patience and humility to that process of, of attention. Um, you know, giving giving your attention to to the land and to all the manifestations of the landscape um, as a gift, like with the intention that it is a gift to give your undivided and full attention to um, to other than human beings to, to plants and and to the birds and to the clouds and the creeks and the boulders and the trail that you're walking on and to just try and return over and over again to to that to like a present centered awareness where you are offering attention as a gift as a kind of a almost like a gratitude practice um, I'm I think I'm going to mangle I'm going to mangle the quote a little bit but I but Robin Wall Kimmerer, who's a, a beautiful writer. Um, Braiding sweet, sweet grass, right? Yeah, yeah. She's a scientist and an, and an indigenous thinker and writer. Um, and um, and yeah, Braiding sweet grass is her famous one of her most famous books. Um, she she says something to the effect of um, attention is the primary currency in the gift economy of kinship, something like that. Um, and even if I messed it up, it's, I think I've got the sentiment right. So um, attention is the primary currency of the gift economy that is kinship. I, I love that. I, um, I practice, there's, uh, it's an organization called the Wilderness Awareness School that operates out of, of Washington. Mm-hmm. And a, a practice that comes from that is uh, they talk about sit spotting. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Return to, to one spot and just give that your attention and you notice the changes. Absolutely. That happens throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. And the changes that happen within you, too. I'm a bit, yeah, sit spots are great. I, 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 uh, since I became a parent, I've, I've kind of come, come in and out of all of my, um, practices with, with different levels of, of, um, <clears throat> of, uh, devotion, unfortunately, but, but in, historically, I'm very, I'm very, uh, devoted to sit spot, and I've had various and different places that I've lived, and I think it, I think it can be very rich, um, in terms of this kinning or this process of, of, restoring intimacy or, or just expanded awareness, feelings of aliveness, feelings, feeling awake, you know, um, in, in place, um, through that, through that returning over and over again, because there's this wit, this witnessing of, of changes. And also because, um, the, uh, the other beings get, get used to us. You know, I used to have a, 
I had a sit spot out on a point, and there was a there were kestrels that nested in these bay trees, these beautiful kind of wind bonsai bay trees that were out on this this rocky point. And uh, when I first started showing up for the for the sit spot, they they'd kind of harass me. Um, and then uh, after after a, a couple of weeks, they just completely accepted me as a as just a as just a being that comes there peacefully and and they they were no it was no longer at least apparently no longer um upsetting to them in any way and they raised their chicks in the tree above me that i'd lean against and it was it was lovely to just be this feeling of kind of being welcomed back into the family into the great family you know i was no longer a uh a chastised member <laughs> and I, I i think the, the plants and the and the stones and and all the other entities you know the the potential is there certainly for them to also relax into our presence if we keep returning over and over again and regarding them um with respect and and curiosity and um and you know having a peaceful heart mind Hmm. In in challenging that that separation from the more than human or or developing an intimacy mm-hmm. with the the natural world, it sounds like sit spotting or or attention attentional devotional practices outdoors is is a great place to start. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, over the years, what what uh, are some other practices that you've picked up for for managing uh, on a personal level your intimacy with the the natural world? Yeah. Um, let me think for for a minute. Um, well, all these participatory practices that I kind of already alluded to. Like foraging for foraging for um, for plant plant foraging plants for medicine and food and and then also like participatory crafting practices you know like uh, make inks and and dyes you know I have I have clothing that is like colored by the land that I that I wear um, you know of ink that I made that I draw with um, and I'll do some like intentional. Um, intentional mindful drawing with with that and um, um, so those uh, those participatory practices are, are key and then the other other thing that feels really strong to me and it's something that we've like developed through wild tender is uh, is a model of pilgrimage which is um, which is uh, kind of an expanded an expansion of that first practice, that that super simple first practice that we talked about of just slow, um, slowly, attentively, you know, walking through or moving through a space, but for prolonged periods, you know, five days of walking um, through the wilderness, holding those intentionalities of, of expanded awareness and, and gratitude and communion um, that, that I, I frame as pilgrimage. So that's that's really key um, to my work. Um, it's a kind of immersion um, as a practice. There's other things. There's more kind of, kind of more esoteric things that I could could go into, but um, but yeah, I'm not sure which direction we want to we want to head in. Um, 
I have an altar um, with, you know, ceremonial objects and um, from the land and also from my, my, my life and my ancestry. And I collect wild herbs from the land. I burn the herbs there. Um, and uh, and yeah, I have a, so I have a prayerful meditation practice in front of the altar. Um, yeah. Sure, sure. On the topic of, of pilgrimage, I think it's worth um, uh, it's, it's worth friend that the, uh, you came onto my radar through Eric Davis, um, and he uh, he writer, leads the podcaster, Eric writer, podcaster. He specifically leads a badass wise man. Yeah, um, yeah. For leads a, he, he leads a, a community uh, called called the Dharmanor Circle, and it is um, uh, let's call it like a utilizes Buddhist among other principles, uh, for, for practicing meditation specifically orientated around, um, around, uh, I guess this is a psychedelic experience, maybe, maybe not, but I, I also want to call out that for, uh, I'm sure there's listeners like, like me who are on this, started off on the skeptic end. It was actually, uh, psychedelics and plant medicines that blew open my reality enough to actually, identify that uh to challenge that separateness to to yeah. see that there is more than just um the separate world that our culture uh conditions upon us as they've been doing since time immemorial you know that's that's like our, our kinship as a species with those plants and fungi and molecules is is very you know totally ancient goes back probably to the beginning and is it's kind of, you know, always fulfilled that role of that, just um, dispelling the heat haze of of separate of separateness, you know. Mm. And specifically, Eric, he he came back from one one of those pilgrimages, um, yeah. I, I believe, and and that's how I I, I first heard of it. Yeah. Um, and it seems like those are orientated around um, around cultivating that that uh intimacy but the the other thing that that we haven't quite talked about is um developing reciprocity what, what does that look like through the context of of intimacy and, and pilgrimage yeah i mean so reciprocity really just means like um means uh at least two ways right i mean it means it means uh it's maybe easiest to sort of define by its opposite, which would just be like a one-sided relationship. But a reciprocal relationship means it's it's give and take, it's back and forth. So I think the key thing there to think about is just just an orientation. I mean, it's just a it's just a very different kind of orientation than the one that we're coached into um, by our we're really forced into by our our culture. Um, you know, just the idea that, like, um, you know, that we are trying to give, put back in or give back as much as we are taking out. Um, so it's sort of already present in that idea that I was talking about, about the att- offering attention as a gift. You know, there's like a, there's a way you could move through the wilderness or through a wild space or communicate try to communicate with plants for example that would be like what are you trying to teach me like what am i trying to get what 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 do you what wisdom do you have for me you know that's kind of you know that has a place um 
and you take it to an extreme, and that's like a very extractive mentality. Does that make sense? It, it does, and this is something yeah. I'm actually gra- grappling with in how I try and communicate what the Mountain Whispers project is, is because I, the, my initial framing is um, the deeper lessons that we can learn from, from the outdoors yeah. or how uh, we can utilize, even just utilize the extractive, how we, how we yeah. and um, how the outdoors affords inspiration, connection, and healing. And, and I can mm-hmm. feel already just uh, part of it, part of my motivation is this type A achieve, do more, right. this is the tool to do more. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the um, insidious nature of, of, of capitalism and, and like the, you know, the mythologies that we were raised under. It's just the idea that like, how can this make me better? How can this make me a better individual? How can this make me a better, like, um, I don't know, maker or doer? You know, you see that with psychedelics too, right? In the, especially in like Silicon Valley, where it's like microdosing and psychedelics being used as like a, a way of just um, making like the intolerable circumstances of late stage capitalism like tolerable for just a few more years or just like a few more <laughs> decades or something. The same thing can be a same same mentality can absolutely be applied to you know any any of the work that I do or is related to what I do wilderness you know wilderness therapy or rites of passage or or you know any of that kind of stuff which isn't exactly what I do but um, um, you know so I guess what I guess what kind of comes down to or what it what I think of when you talk about this, Tim, is just like, okay, you're going to listen to the mountain, and but then, then what? Like, what are you going to do with what the mountain tells you? Are you going to, um, are you going to like build a better uh, leaf blower, <laughs> or are you going to like devote yourself to, um, to um, uh, restoring agency and and um, beinghood? To the world, and uh, and like and you know protecting protecting you know this place that we're lucky enough to be incarnate into, um, you know, in whatever form that takes for you. I'm not saying I'm not trying to be prescriptive about there being like a specific calling, a specific way of doing it. I mean, maybe you found it with the podcasts, um, but do you see what I mean? It's like, are you gonna are you gonna listen to the mountain and then? And then is that listening just going to make you, um, is it going to engorge your ego or like make you a more productive member of a destructive society or are you going to be, uh, are you going to do something else? Because yeah. I feel like if you're really listening, you're going to do something else. Otherwise you're just, it's probably just you talking to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think as you mentioned earlier, nuance is what's required here because it's also necessary to exist in oh, yeah. late stage capitalism. You can't you can't I'm you can't a, avoid a, it. That's right. I'm a complicit participant, you know. I charge people for charge people money to, you know, do programs with us and I go on pilgrimage and, you know, I sell records and I do the 
I do I do that stuff. Um, um, you know, because I I think I have to. I don't know. I haven't figured out a way not to have to currently. Um, so yes, with humility and compassion. I'm I I hope I didn't come off as a as a um, uh, yeah. I hope I hope I didn't come off without compassion for the situation. I I really do have very I feel very deeply for all of us because I think the reality is um, you know we're all trying to figure this stuff out as individuals and that's um, that's not the way it's supposed to be like we, we were supposed to have uh, intact cultures that could guide us um, you know into uh, living living rightly you know and um, most of us don't have that um, so so yeah, compassion for the self is for sure the starting point, you know, um, and patience too with with oneself. I'm just like, you know, you're gonna, you might screw, you might screw it up a few times. You know, I, I certainly did. I definitely had more kind of extractive um, way of doing things in the beginning of this this relationship that I was intending and. You know, 10 years from now, I'm sure I'll look back on where I'm at right now and, and think the same thing. Like, wow, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was doing that. And, I th- and that felt like right relationship to me. Um, but that's that's just part of learning and growing, I think, um, you know. So, yeah. Mm. I'm aware your repairman may be arriving in the next 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> I, think so- I think I'm okay, actually. Uh, yeah. So let's just keep keep going. Cool. Okay. Well, I'd love to tie in um, where your your musical practice, if you would call that, fits into your practice of relating with the more than human. Yeah. Sure. I mean, for me, it's it's um, totally related, um, completely. I make music. Um, I record music, um, and I release it. And the music that I make is, or the practice of making the music for me is one of my practices of relationality with um, with the land and with the beings of the land, and and also like an ancestral practice for me of um, connecting with with my ancestral self and 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 some of my ancestral lineage um, by by kind of by just cultivating. Um, essentially like ritual space, um, creating ritual space through music, creating ritual space in order for music to come through. Um, and then with the intention that the music in some way, you know, with, with a big kind of asterisk next to it of, of, of um, <laughs> intended humility, but in, in some way giving voice to the voiceless uh Meaning, you know, the, the other than humans, and and really like decentering the human and decentering the modern experience um, through 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 poetry and song and and music um, and offering these things up, hopefully as a kind of a, a a more than rational or or not so thinky pathway into um, like the feeling states and mind states associated with like a, a deep relationship with place or, um, uh, yeah, relationality, um, kinship, 
animism, um, but like to be to be felt rather and experienced rather than um, you know written about or, or thought about um, because that's one of the great gifts of music and art in general, but I think in particular music is that it can be it can I believe it can be very um, I, I think really everybody believes it can be so emotionally and psycho spiritually um, transportive and immersive um, yeah hmm. that's a little bit of what I have to say about it I suppose um, I, as you said that I got the sense that when you when you say giving voices to the voiceless yes hmm. when you make music are you in a way channeling the energies of the more than human that you're communing with? I, that's my intention, or one of my intentions, yeah. I can't, I can't, I don't know that it's for me to say whether or not I'm succeeding at that. <laughs> I think maybe that's more for, like, the listener to to determine based on their experience. But um, that feels, yeah, that's my intention, and it feels true and alive to me um, when I'm when I'm succeeding. I mean, I'm definitely like banging my head against the wall a lot of the time, too. Um, that's, but that's part of the creative process, I think. Um, and um, but yeah, when I'm when I'm open and my my mind is quiet and I've done my work and I'm fortunate, then um, yeah, then hopefully some of the some of the spirit of the place or even spirits of the place move move through me and move into the music. I think music is is so. Um, I mean, it's the oldest. It's like it's it's old medicine. You know what I mean? It's like the original purpose, probably, of music is is ritual, is is helping us tune into something ineffable, something that's unnamed and unnameable, that is very real and very potent for us and for the land, from my perspective. And we, um, you know, and we, uh, and we, yeah, you know, it's the the bone, the, you know, the the bone striker on the high drum. You know, I mean, that's the that's like the beginning um, of all music, um, and it's sort of, you know, I use modern, I use modern and ancient instruments and techniques, but I'm I'm really just trying to get get into that space. So if listeners go on Spotify, they can find two albums under under Fletcher Tucker, Cold Spring and, and Unlit Trail. Uh, I'm curious, is there any songs that you can speak to uh, the location or that which inspired that particular song? Oh, that's interesting. Um, yes. Um, I mean, they're actually all very location sensitive um i guess my my only hesitation is just thinking about um how to describe the locations and whether or not that will have meaning to anyone listening um <laughs> because they aren't uh they aren't uh, necessarily you know going to be familiar with with where we where i where i am and where i no i don't know i mean i you know the only thing that kind of comes to mind that i think is is pretty interesting and strange was this um this song uh this song that's it's 
well, calling it a song is not really right, but it's like a soundscape. It's it's on um, it's on Cold Spring, and it's, the song's called Obsidian Mirror, and uh, and there's a, a lone um, ululating uh, coyote in the uh, in the background, um, uh, and uh, that song I actually performed. I heard the coyote calling. And I, I stuck a, I just, I, I had my recording rig set up already, and I just grabbed a microphone and put the microphone outside, and then I, I threw another microphone on my uh, amplifier, and while he was, um, while he was calling, I, uh, I, I played the, I played the, um, the like ambient guitar textures simultaneously. <clears throat> and recorded them both simultaneously while he was calling. Um, so, like, he couldn't hear me. He probably couldn't hear me very well, I wouldn't imagine, because I was playing pretty quietly, but I was I was actually, like, recording that in dialogue um, live with with the coyote, which I, I thought was interesting and didn't end up... I didn't end up talking about that in the liner notes or anything, so I haven't, um, haven't shared that detail before. Um, Cool. Yeah. Um, and it's just like a ambient, um, atmospheric track. It doesn't, um, doesn't necessarily uh, have any kind of literal, um, any literal messages communicating. But it just felt, felt kind of po- like a potent opportunity to, like, um, play music with another being, even if they didn't know we were in a duet. That's really, really cool. I, it's something I'm still trying to get a, a relationship with is the the way in which poetry and prose and music has the ability to develop that intimacy or or improve that relationship. Can you can you talk a, a bit more about that? Well, I mean, for me, it's po- for me poetry is really important uh, because. Uh, I feel like poetry is kind of like the liberated form of of co- language communication in that like there's a capability within poetry of sort of describing around um, ideas and, and feeling states um, that are ineffable, that like our language falls short on. Um, it's like um, it's it's like the it's like the darkness that is surrounding a flame, in a sense. Like the, the poetry is like that. It's like the you can't you can't name the flame. You can't really describe the flame, but you can describe all around these, you know, for mystical experiences or for um, like you know deep deep psycho spiritual relationality, um, even just meaning, even just like dimensions of meaning. You know, our our words often fall short um, if we just are trying to state state something very directly or plainly, like in prose. But in poetry, there's this opportunity to kind of come at things sort of from the from the sides, or like um, almost like you know catching glimpses of something in your peripheral vision that you can't look directly at. Um, and I, I think that's true in 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 music and and song form as well. Maybe particularly in song because in the song you've got the poetic 
element, but then the poetic element is in, reinforced or supported by the sound, the feeling of the sound. So you, I think you can go even further, even further away from the didactic and and uh, express these really hard to express, you know, deeply, deeply human feelings. Hmm. What, what comes up when you say that is, is there something on your website about mirroring the inner landscape with the outer? And, and it makes me think that poetry and music brings in, gives us awareness of that inner landscape yeah. and allows us to relate it or, or so. commune with the outer landscape. And in some ways it's this bridge between the inner and the outer you know that are that are the same like we have this dualistic concept you know that the inner and the outer are not the same but they they are they're they're just like you know it's the inhale and the exhale it's like they are just reciprocal dimensions of one you know expression um you know that is the self or is like the the world self so to speak you know um you know, in the same way that, like, the the world is always entering us through our senses. You know, it's literally physically entering us. It's actually touching us and coming into our bodies. And, you know, and the, the the music is, is doing the same thing. It's generated in the external world, but it's literally entering us, these vibrations. And then, um, yeah, so there's a kind of a, like a bridge work there. Um, yeah, and, and in many ways, the the most transformative experiences that people experience, whether that is uh, in ceremony um, mm-hmm. or whatever state, is that complete connection where, where the inner and outer landscape is merged together. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about bridging work, is that being able to bridge that connection uh, more often than just the 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 peak experience where that happens. Yeah, I think it's about cultivating awareness around the 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 the, the connection or the, the 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 sort of the tides between the two, the intertidal nature. Um, cultivating awareness around it so that it is so that it's it becomes something it becomes less, it just becomes more common. It's just cultivating it so that it becomes a commonplace, you know, reality, more like, you know, the closer to the water that you swim in. And uh, I'm throwing out, I'm mixing so many metaphors here, I apologize. But but uh, but uh, rather than it being like, like something that you just, you just taste every once in a while, you know. Um, which is useful. I mean, that's where we've got to begin because, again, like I say, you know, most of us come from these cultures of deep severance where we didn't, we've, we haven't been, um, we haven't had elders, we haven't had practices or rituals or even a way of living that, like, fosters that awareness of, the, um, of our interbeing, of our innate connection and, and um, you know, in a, inescapable interdependence. Um, there's lots of ways of talking about it and thinking about it and they're all true like we are physically without question you know from every vantage 
utterly and totally enmeshed and and bound to um, all these other beings and to the cosmos as a whole. And we are mentally and emotionally and and um, spiritually enmeshed and intertwined and and um, you know dancing with all, the entire cosmos as, as well. Um, so whatever language you want to use, from whatever vantage you want to approach it, it's all true, and it all has meaning. And I think it all is like going to it all. They they are like um, those awarenesses all sort of lean on each other, and they can cultivating one is cultivating the other, even unintentionally. Yeah, you know we've been talking about like practices and and. Um, you know, for me, like a, like a natural history practice is essential. You know, we've been talking about all this stuff that is kind of outside of the rational, or not outside of, but, but not explicitly like within rational reality or Western scientific modes or anything like that. But, I mean, you know, natural history, learning, learning the stories and habits and ways and patterns of of, of you know the plants and animals and other than human beings and landscape where you live or the place that you love or feel connected to like this can be like a, a radically beautiful and powerful um, practice of of attention and attunement and um, you know building relationship um, as well so you know I took I took it upon myself when I moved here to Big Sur 12 years ago to just begin to learn as much as possible from and about the plants and animals and and the land um, in relationship and as a way of know, just knowing my neighbors, you know? I mean, it's like, um, yeah. No, how that shows up for me is um, uh, Alice Lake is, uh, it came about because Mount Garibaldi uh erupted during the last ice age and the molten lava sat on top of the glacier but as the glacier receded the the lava and rock collapsed down which caused a series of lakes below the mountain wow. and the minute i learned that it just absolutely made the landscape yeah, yeah. Alive. and it just allows you to see the magic that that surrounds totally. you yeah you got to you got to like you got to just take in this deep time story that you, uh, you know, that was just right there, but, you know, how would you, how would you know? Um, because it's, it's, you're talking about millions of years of history. Um, yeah, that, that's great. That's beautiful. I mean, we're a storytelling species, you know, I, I think of that a lot and it's like, these are, these are some of the stories, you know, these are the stories the land is telling us and there's like a way of thinking about it that's really you know, and we all know these people that like are just kind of like fact hoarders, you know, or <laughs> and they, there's like a way of being that is kind of extractionistic, I think, um, where you're just like it's like building the ego. You're like I'm the knower. I'm I know all these you know facts. I know all these birds. I know all these you know you know I'm just collect just kind of collecting stuff. Or there's a way of doing it that's like about like the richness of the story and like the the subtlety and the and the um, you know the the beauty and complexity that like honors all these other beings and um, and and also like the grand narratives of of place and 
um, our position in that place, our, rel- our position relative to that place, as our species, and then of course the original peoples of those places. Um, yeah. Do you, yeah. That that uh, how's that lock in for you? No, that that as it is, I I love that that distinction. Of, of holding this information as a way to uh, to develop that relationship and also hold additional reverence as opposed to being a, a, a fact order because it is possible for these facts to be completely disembodied to not oh, totally like mm. dead facts basically mm-hmm. yeah 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 and you meet people like that all I meet people like that all the time you know who self-identify as like naturalists you know and I'm just like I don't know it just seems like it just seems like this is about you. Like this doesn't seem relational to me, you know. Um, and you know, may they may they be blessed in their journey. You know, that might just be the jumping off point. Um, and who am I to judge? I mean, other people probably see me that way sometimes too, <laughs> but um, or in some other cast in some other light that's unflattering. But um, but there is a way. There's a way to make it relational. I mean, I like. Sometimes I just think of I like I like words. I like to think about the origins of words, and you know, ecology literally just means earth house. You know, wow. So it's like, yeah, just think about that. Just re- returning to that meaning, you know, earth house. Like, yeah, we can be. You can you could approach that with like relationship and humility and intimacy and like, right? Doesn't yeah. doesn't all have to be up in the in the brain and the ego. <clears throat> um, the, the other thing on my mind when, when I um, when I ponder how um, getting a right relationship with the more than human world in a way that's not extracted is um, it, being familiar with Eric Davis's work. Are you familiar with any of Robert Anton Wilson's work? Uh, not not terribly. I mean, just on a cursory kind of level. Um, have you do you need to be familiar with with Prometheus Rising or like Tim Leary's Eight Circuit Model of Consciousness? Uh, I'd love for you to explain it to me. Um, <laughs> I've, I'm 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 yeah. I read I read I read. I'm aware of some of that Prometheus Rising from like my early twenties, so it's been a long time. Um, but no, and the eight eight levels of consciousness. Timothy Leary, is that what you said? Uh, yeah, it's like the Eight Circuit Model of Consciousness. It's really interesting. Huh. It was written in, in the 1970s when yeah. uh, like cybernetics was just coming out. So right. the okay. circuit is 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 interesting. Perhaps breaks down. But the the premise and why I, I raise it is that um, uh, it's mapped out in that um, at a core level, a circuit one is. Um, Literally, just our survival function. Every living item has, right. every living being has this survival function. How do I survive? Um, right. And and the second circuit is something maybe procreating, or basically it's like layering on levels of complexity of right. uh, the of human nature. But I bring it up in that um, the first three or four circuits are kind of the hardware that we're working with, whereas the fifth circuit is starting to push into the the mystical realms a little bit, more, right. like altered states of consciousness. And, right. and have you ever, are you familiar at all with, with Jamie Will, Stealing Fire or Recapture the Rapture? No, not at all. 
He, the way uh, you're talking about makes me think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you've encountered that, but it's a very similar kind of idea of the, the pyramid, this kind of pyramid where at the bottom is just like, you know, food, the, shelter. There is probably some uh, alignment with it, but, but I bring it up in that um, – uh, Jamie Wheel's philosophy is peak states of, of consciousness, states of flow or states of connection, oh, okay. states of dissolution, are opportunities for us to find inspiration, healing, and connection and to, to get the flywheel going. You know? Yeah, yeah, right. Totally. Um, and, and it was a lot informed by Roald Anton Wilson's work. And, okay. and part of the inspiration for this project is that developing a practice with nature is a means for inspiration, healing, and connection. Yeah, the, sure. the right relationship piece is that there's a high risk of using the outdoors as a means to the end of that healing inspiration and for it to be extractive as opposed to a, a relationship of, of reverence. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, you see that I, I, I feel like for me, you know, because like I'm, you know, I I backpack a lot and and I I run a lot of programs uh, of like um, you know immersion and and relationship building programs in in the wild that are backpack related, uh, backpacking related. I feel like it comes up for me a lot with other folks backpacking. It's kind of like peak bagging mentality, you know, mm. I mean, where they've just got like a list of like. Okay, I want to climb that one, and I climbed that one, and I'm going to climb that one. And I want to climb, you know, and it's just like, I, yeah, they're just climbing them. They just have a list, and they're checking things off the list, and it's like, it makes them feel special, you know. To, to have and done I, it, I think which it I, is the right relationship. I know I'm inflecting judgment into that, but um, you know, I understand. I mean, we all want to feel special. Um, I get it. Um, but there's more. There's, there's, they might, I, they might be missing out, you know, on, on, on something a lot more special. There's a, focusing on that. I think you referenced uh, who's the author of Mount Robert McFarlane. It's either in his book or it's in the documentary that's on Netflix about his work. And and the quote is, "Into the mountains we go in headlong pursuit of peril, the testing ground in which the self is best illuminated." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I see there being a spirit mountaineering as a spiritual practice in that. Yeah. This is the challenge where you help me prove. But this is a rite of passage of sorts. Mm -hmm. Totally, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's deeply human, right? I mean, we've and and you know intentionally pruned from our current culture, you know. But uh, but yeah, we 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 all we're all descendant from, or very likely we're all descendant from. You know, we go back far enough. Place-based cultures that had rites of passage um, that would would elicit, that were extreme in nature, sometimes quite dangerous, um, but would bring us to the edges of our sense of, of safety and sense of self and sense of limitations. And then we come back from them different, come back from them changed. Um, and absolutely, you can, you can approach... I mean, I mean that's part of why with wild tender we frame our work as pilgrimages because they are a form of rite of passage. Now we're not we're not in any kind of extreme danger, but you take 
you take 12 people who, you know, have spent very little time in the wilderness and maybe have never backpacked before, and you push them up thousands of feet of elevation and and several days into uh, you know a backcountry where there you don't see any other people, and you will encounter some some of your edges, you know, some of your senses of limitation that are imagined, and also feelings of disconnection that are also imagined, and then um, and that's that's like really rich and juicy and fertile territory to um, to do psycho spiritual and emotional work. Um, and yeah, so it's it's a dimension for sure of the work that I do in the world and the work I, I do on myself of just pushing pushing those limits, not for the sake of um, like delighting in my um, power, my personal power or something, you know, which I feel like that's where it goes wrong. Um, and it, it's for it's as a tool. Essentially, it's like a technology. It's a spiritual technology that I can utilize to, to um, kind of, uh, yeah, go go deeper. And and uh, I like what you said. Get the flywheel going. Um, I I always think about it. I think about it as like clearing, like clearing the surface of the water. You know, like I, I my my true self and all of our true selves are these like deep beautiful, deep, cool pools of, like, ancestral awareness and relationality. And then on the surface, there's this little scummy, shiny, iridescent oil, you know, that is, like, the modern the modern self in the modern context and can just introduce a little disturbance uh, to that pool. And then all of a sudden you can peer down into these depths or maybe take a drink or maybe even dive in. You know, and so the disturbance is like disrupting daily patterns, going backpacking into the wilderness for three days, um, you know, uh, fasting for for a few days, you know, sitting sitting next to um, sitting in one spot every every morning for thirty minutes, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The list goes on and on, but the the disturbance is necessary, and I feel like some degree what you're talking about in these so-called extreme states is really just kind of a form of disturbance. It's just like a disturbing the pattern of the day-to-day or the, the grooves of thoughts that we get trained into or, or you know, emotional states that we get stuck in. And then, um, and then you can, like, disrupt that pattern with these big, cha- big changes or peak experiences or flow states or whatever words you want to use. Um, the pro- the, the, cha- the, what the, the key delineating factor is intention. Like, okay, so you did that. Now what? Like, why are you doing it? And what are you going to do after you've done it? Um, you know, because if, if you're not right with that, then in, from my perspective, it's, you know, you might get lucky and just, and, and have some insight or something. But, um, or, or, or it might just, um, you might just go back, you know, with very little change or, or worse, could just make you more egoic or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. And I love the metaphor of uh, the, the water with, uh, with some oil on the surface. And it is, 
backpacking has that amazing ability to help you see the water from the oil yeah. by re- the novelty of removing yourself yeah. from the rhythms that you're they're used to in modernity yeah yeah is and that way walking i mean there's something so fundamental about walking you know i mean i always i talk to my you know i talk to my students and people in my groups about this like just acknowledgement of like these beautiful ancestral gifts that we have of these long striding limbs and these broad shoulders that can bear loads and you know these like hands that are clever with tools and and you know these upright bodies like we're just we can just walk we can and we're made we're literally made for we're a migratory species like we can just walk into these into these spaces and carry our our own bodies and everything we need to survive for you know a few days or a few weeks um and and totally disrupt the the pattern um and and at a pace that we can actually integrate the experience actually integrate the change you know um and that's key i think like you couldn't i think if you just like i think you have a very different experience if i just dropped you in the wilderness with a helicopter you know it just took you from your house and just plopped you there um it wouldn't be uh you wouldn't have had that that kind of slow shedding that's necessary um for for like a an experience that is gentle enough to like last you know yeah the shedding is is so much part of that 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 is necessary for being able to distill the water from the oil in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Fletcher, I, I'm aware that uh, we're, we're approaching the 90 minute mark, and I I don't intend to edit any of this out of it. So okay. uh, <laughs> we we uh, should should probably start wrapping up. Okay. Um, yeah. Fletcher, if people want to learn more, where where's the best place to go? Sure. Yeah. Um, Okay, so if you want to listen to music and are interested in 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 that more kind of creative dimension, um, you should head on over to the website for my record label where I I release uh, and have some of my music that I didn't release um, available and for sale, and then other some other albums of kind of related works and related artists that I've been curating for the last. 16 years, um, and so that that is called Gnome Life Records, G-N-O-M-E Life Records, like the like the life of a gnome. GnomeLifeRecords.com and get some music there. And then um, if you are interested in um, the more of the didactic or hands-on work that um, I'm doing um, with my wife Noel and with some other um, co-teachers. Um, in the wild, um, especially around here in Big Sur, that that organization is called Wild Tender, W-I-L-D-T-E-N-D-E-R dot com, um, and I've got we've got a host of different you know workshops and programs um, there, including the the stuff that we teach at Esalen, the Esalen Institute, and at Tassajara Zen Center, and then our our programs that we run here in the in the wilderness, um, 
And yeah, I, I hope uh, if you're curious, I hope you come check it out because um, it's work that we do um, joyfully and with you know full full hearts and and lots of love for this place and and um, and um, you know in in good relationship with this land and in relationship with the um, the Esalen people, the original stewards of this land. Um, so we would be happy to be um, with you. Um, and yeah, I don't know any questions about any of that before we. No, I can I can absolutely in, uh, include links to to both Gnome Life Records and uh, Wild Tinder on the in the show Great. notes. Okay, so. yeah. Great, yeah. And maybe we'll maybe we'll see you on something sometime, Tim. That would be nice. I I would absolutely love to come down to Big Sur for 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 one of these experiences. I've got so much from this conversation and. Um, yeah, I'm sure in, in person uh, there's even more that I can get from it. Yeah, I hope it made a little bit of sense to people listening out there. And I'd like to close by saying thank you to you, Tim, and to everyone who's listening. And um, and just, yeah, honor you for your curiosity and um, and express gratitude for, for this invitation and um, and my gratitude to this to this land. Um and all the teachings and and um, all the beauty that I've received here, and and gratitude to the original people of this place, the Esalen people. Um, so, thank you, and and my gratitude to you as well. I'm, I I've got an awful lot from from this conversation, and I know, regardless of where listeners are in the journey of their, of cultivating a relationship with the natural world. They, they would have got a lot from this in terms of uh, awareness, but also um, practice that they can, can, can go from here uh, in terms of cultivating this relationship and deepening their relationship. Yeah. So thank you so much, Fletcher. You're very welcome. Thank you too, Tim. Thank you for listening to Mountain Whispers. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed recording it. Uh, Fletcher is a awesome, awesome dude. We're definitely going to stay in touch. I'm definitely going to check out uh, his uh, pilgrimage offering next spring in California. I totally uh, want to fly down to that. I uh, highly recommend you check out Gnome Life Records or even just listen to those two albums on Spotify. There's some, some really vivid ambient tunes i'm actually going to try and replace the uh, current intro tunes with something recorded by fletcher i think it, it speaks to this project so much more than uh, the free royalty intro that i found from some free sample website but anyway do check out the the show notes as well there's a lot of uh, juicy links to uh, gary snyder robert walter kimmer a cool uh community by Eric Davis called the Domino Circle and, and all of Fletcher's work as well uh, if you enjoyed this do the like and subscribe thing it makes a difference apparently and even more important uh, share a link with a friend couple of heads up uh, one heads up uh, I'm think this is going to be the end of the first season slash it's going to be a break um, I'm heading out on a road trip this summer and I don't expect to be able to uh, have much time in front of a laptop to put stuff out um, gonna head down Oregon Washington 
Mount Hood, Glacier National Park, Fernie, all those places. Hit me up if you've got recommendations. Um, yeah, probably going to start Bandcamp episodes and look for it to start returning late September, I would say. But yeah, thanks for listening. Share it. Much love.